Ready? There's a radio program called This American Life. Do you ever hear that um, radio program? It tells a story about the late writer David Rekhoff on one of their episodes who had a hard time believing what was right in front of his eyes. In 1986, Rekhoff's company in Tokyo was working on a computer program that would allow expats like himself to write short little messages to one another after logging on to the network. Well, David was not impressed. He thought, what kind of loser would log on to a computer just to talk to somebody? <laughs> and so in a moment of decisiveness, he went into work and quit. Of course, we can all guess what that network became, right? This little thing called the internet, right? So David had other stories too. Earlier in the 1980s, he went to a dance club and he heard a young blonde sing singer from Michigan and thought, Boy, is she lousy. That singer was later known by the name Madonna. <laughs> then another time he was working in publishing, and uh, he was handed a manuscript to review, and he passed it off as subliterate drivel and an easy pass. Well, that turned out to be a book called Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, which went on to sell 15 million copies as one of the best-selling works of the 19. 90s. So you could say David had some difficulty seeing, right? He had some difficulty seeing. He had some difficulty seeing what had potential, what had value, seeing perhaps what matters. Well, John the Baptist was out one day with a couple of his disciples, and Jesus walked by. And John could see who Jesus really was. So he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Those two disciples who heard John started following Jesus. And Jesus asked them, what are you seeking? And the disciples answered him by saying, Rabbi, where are you staying? Which was a way of saying, we want to be with you. We want to be your disciples. So what did Jesus say in reply? Come and see. Now Jesus was not saying, come and see my house, right? Jesus was saying, come and see how I live. Come and see what I say. Come and see what I do. Come and see what it means to follow me. Come and see me. The churches in Galatia in the Apostle Paul's day were not seeing clearly. They had started out well, uh, but now they weren't seeing Jesus clearly. And as a result, they weren't seeing themselves clearly either. Well, that happens a lot these days too. There is so much going on in our world, so much activity, so much confusion, so much chaos and uncertainty, so much change happening all the time that it can be easy to lose sight of what has real value, you know, what really matters. We can lose sight of Jesus and in doing so, lose sight of who we are. So in the last part of chapter 4 of Galatians, Paul is basically saying to these believers, come and see. And I believe that's Jesus' invitation to us this morning as well. So that's what we're going to do. Are you ready? ready? Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that you would this morning open the eyes of our heart that we might see you. Um, just bring clarity to our, to our vision, our, not just our natural vision, but our spiritual vision, that we could see 
you and see ourselves as a result and see what matters, Lord. Help us to gain sight this morning. So we ask Holy Spirit, come and work in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is Galatians 4, 21 to 23. So Paul's writing to the Galatians, and he says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born according to the promise. Well, like I said, we live in kind of crazy, chaotic, confusing times. There's a lot going on in our world. There's a lot that has changed, and there's a lot that's still changing rapidly. And that's true whether we're talking about technology, uh, the ways we interact with people, uh, or standards of morality and identity and sexuality and civility and social order. And times like these can create a lot of anxiety. And anxiety makes us want to create some kind of order so that we can reduce our anxiety. You know, we want to lay down some rules, uh, lay down some standards so we know what's what, what's right, what's wrong, uh, who's in, who's out, what's safe, what's not. And so while none of us are, are likely to be overly concerned with keeping the Jewish laws, uh, like circumcision and eating kosher and Sabbath, like uh, were the big issues in Galatia back in Paul's day, trying to lower our anxiety and find our safety and our security by nailing down our own laws, whatever those laws might be for us, whatever gives us that sense of being right and being in control, that's something we are still tempted by today. Now, don't get me wrong. God, God does call us who are believers to be a holy people, right? Following Jesus means following him into a particular way of living that is different from the ways of this world. There are things that are right and other things that are wrong. But the question is, how do we become holy people? Is it through trying to follow laws or is it by living in relationship with Jesus so that his Holy Spirit can transform us, which we'll get to more of when we get to chapter 5 in Galatians. And sometimes in our anxiety, what we really want is for other people to follow our moral laws, right? We want to maybe perhaps give grace to ourselves knowing that we're not perfect, but we want to make them follow the rules. But we do put ourselves under all kinds of laws, too. Some people live under the law that says you cannot make any mistakes. Others are ruled by a law that says you must keep everyone around you happy. Another popular law is always look good. Don't let anyone know that you're hurting or have any needs. We have laws that require us to be perfect parents, perfect children, perfect students, perfectly successful. But all through Galatians, Paul is showing us a better way. 
And here in Galatians 4, Paul invites us to come and see. He wants us to see something, and he starts out by reminding us of some history. But first, Paul gets in a little dig at those other teachers who were creating all the problems in Galatia and accusing Paul of not knowing what he was talking about. Paul writes, hey, you guys who want to be under the law, do you even know what it says? That word law for the Jewish people could mean the rules that God gave Israel to follow, but it also was what they called the whole Torah, the first five books of the Bible. So Paul was saying, you may know the rules, but you're forgetting the story. The part of the story he's referring to is found in Genesis 16 through 21. God had promised Abraham a son. But 10 years later, Abraham was now in his mid-80s. Sarah, his wife, had never been able to conceive, and now she was way past the age for having kids. They were disappointed, confused, They were mad at God. Have you ever been mad at God? Oh, yeah. And in their anxiety, they decided if this is going to happen, we need to do something ourselves. You ever done that? (laughs) Oh, yeah. So Sarah had Abraham sleep with her slave, Hagar, and Ishmael was born nine months later. And for a long time, they probably thought they had done the right thing. Because for 13 more years, Ishmael was the only child they had. But then Sarah conceived and bore Isaac when it seemed absolutely impossible. God always keeps his promises, right? The first thing Paul wants us to see in this passage is that we can trust God no matter how chaotic or confusing or hopeless things might look. He wants us to see that Jesus is at work and we can trust him. And that when instead we try to fix things ourselves or control things ourselves, that tends to create problems. But it doesn't negate God's promise. Those teachers in Galatia were seeing their world threatened and changed. It was bad enough that that Gentiles were being led into the church, they thought, but those Gentiles weren't even being required to keep the Jewish laws. What's going on with that? And then that guy Paul was teaching strange new things. So these teachers wanted to bring some order to it all. But Jesus was at work in that chaos. He was at work in that mess. Jesus wants us to look at this chaotic, confusing, rapidly changing world in which we live and realize he is in it. Jesus is at work in all of it, and we can trust him. Amen? And whatever is going on in your life, in your family, in your career, in your relationships, Uh, in our church, Jesus is in it. Even if you've done some things to add to the chaos, and we all have from time to time, Jesus is in it, and he's faithful, and he keeps his promise. Can you see it? Jesus is at work, and we can trust him. Reading on a little bit, starting in verse 24. Now this 
may be interpreted allegorically, what happened, the two kids being born, may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, or it's actually might be translated, Mount Sinai is a mountain in Arabia, but that's okay. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she's our mother. For it's written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. That's a nice clear package passage, isn't it? <laughs> well, there was this guy by the name of Origen back in the... Uh, uh, 3rd century, one of the great teachers of the early church. There he is, origin of Alexandria. He, he's considered to be possibly one of the most brilliant or maybe the most brilliant thinker of the 3rd century inside or outside the church. And Origen taught that all Scripture has three levels of meaning. First of all, he said there is the literal meaning. Just what does it say? What does the passage say? So, for instance, Abraham had two sons, one named Ishmael, whose mother was Hagar, and another named Isaac, whose mother was Sarah. That's the literal meaning. It's what happened, right? It's just the story. But then he said there's also a moral meaning under that literal meaning. In other words, how does that passage shape our lives? What does God want to speak into our lives to, and, and transform us? How does he want to do that through this passage? So the moral meaning of the Sarah and Hagar story could be that it's better to trust God than to try to fix things ourselves, right? That's a moral meaning. But then Origen said, underlying both the literal and the moral meanings is a deeper meaning, what Origen called the spiritual meaning. The spiritual meaning isn't usually obvious. The literal words are sometimes an allegory, like Paul says in this case, or a metaphor for some deeper kind of truth. In some way, though, buried in the passage, there's a deeper meaning that helps us see who Jesus is and who we are in him. And it's usually as we meditate on Scripture, spend time pondering it and wrestling with it and talking about it in community that God reveals this spiritual meaning to us. But in this case, Paul just tells us uh, the spiritual meaning of, of the Sarah and Hagar story because he wants us to see that Sarah is our spiritual mother and to see why that matters. So I was writing this and I was thinking, I don't think I have ever heard anybody talk about us having a spiritual mother. But Paul does, right here in this passage. Hagar, he says, represents the old covenant, the law. Everyone who tries to be right with God by keeping the law, he says, is a child of Hagar. In Hebrew writing, to be a child of someone was to be like them. So since Hagar was a slave, all her children are slaves too. They're stuck in the earthly Jerusalem, Paul says. In other words, in the ways of this world, stuck in trying to do the right thing by their own strength. And that will never lead to the kind of freedom and life that we were made for. 
Sarah, on the other hand, represents the promise of God, which wasn't just Isaac. It was ultimately Jesus, right? That's the promise. And with Jesus, his whole kingdom. Sarah represents the Jerusalem above, Paul writes, the city of God, the kingdom of God, uh, the grace and the power of God. Those who trust the promise, who trust Jesus, are the children of Sarah. They are free like Sarah was free, free to receive the promise, free to receive all the life of the kingdom, free to not live under the tyranny of those laws. Paul wants us to see that if we're followers of Jesus, then Sarah is our spiritual mother. And then Paul throws in a quote from Isaiah 54.1. It starts out, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud. That, that's all coming from Isaiah 54. Well, when you see a quote like that, if you're reading in the Scripture, a, a good idea is to go and read what's being quoted and also read the context around it. See what it's talking about. Because in this case, leading up to that quote is Isaiah 53, chapter 53, which is this beautiful prophecy of the coming of Jesus as the suffering servant who was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. It's all about Jesus suffering for us in order to redeem us from slavery. And then all the rest of Isaiah 54 after the quote is this glorious prophecy about the kingdom of God. It's a picture of the promise. So what does Paul want us to see in all of this? That we're children of Sarah, children of the promise, and the promise belongs to us. Jesus has redeemed us from every form of slavery, so why, he is asking, would we put ourselves back under any kind of laws like the Galatians were doing that tell us we're not good enough, we're not doing enough, or we don't have enough. Why would we let fear and anxiety rule over us when Jesus is in us and with us and at work in all things for our good and the kingdom of God is ours? He's trying to expand our vision to see who Jesus is and to see who we are, that we are children of the promise and all that is promised in the kingdom of God belongs to us. That's what Paul wants us to see. Can you see it? Maybe a little, huh? Then we go on, starting in verse 28. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as, that at, but just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Well, if you know the story, you know that things did not go well between Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael was a young teenager when Isaac was born, and so he probably felt replaced by Isaac. Certainly, Ishmael would have realized that his inheritance was now in jeopardy. And we don't know exactly what happened between the two of them. Genesis just has this one verse where it says, Sarah saw Ishmael laughing 
and that got her really upset. The assumption is that Ishmael was mocking or tormenting little Isaac. And so Sarah had Abraham send Ishmael and Hagar away. One thing I love about the Bible is that it doesn't paint its characters as perfect people. Yeah, again, we don't know what happened, but it doesn't seem like this was Abraham and Sarah's finest moment, does it? <laughs> Probably not. So when Paul refers to it in Galatians, he may have been telling the churches to drive away those teachers who were creating problems. I think that's possible. But, but what Paul is definitely not saying was to drive away people who in some way didn't measure up or weren't good enough or didn't follow the rules well enough. He wasn't saying anything like that because, after all, that would be all of us, right? There'd be nobody left. Probably what he really meant, or at least what it means for us, is to drive out of our own lives any vestige of that slave mentality that still remains, any ways that we're not living as children of the promise. It's interesting that the word promise in Galatians 4 can also be translated as announcement, probably because a promise is something that's announced. As children of promise, our lives are meant to be an announcement of the goodness of God. Like Abraham, who first received the promise, we have been blessed to be a blessing to all peoples of the world, starting right here where we live. Jesus has been stirring that in me lately, talking to me about that lately, quite a bit. And I believe that Jesus really does want us to see ourselves and live as a community of people who love God and love others, period. He, he wants us to see ourselves and live as a community of people who are being transformed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. There's something about seeing ourselves as children of promise that's key to that. It's, it's knowing who we are, knowing that the kingdom of God is ours enables us just to be free about giving that all away. And I'm convinced that this crazy, chaotic, ever-changing world we live in is desperately looking for some kind of hope some kind of peace, and the only place they're going to find it is in Jesus. Amen? It's the only place. Yeah, we, were at, we had an off-site leaders meeting. We went to this place in Port Washington a few weeks ago, a staff meeting, doing some planning for the next year. And before we started the planning, we took some time just to go out and be quiet and listen to God. So we all went off alone and, and wanted to hear what God had to say. And I, I, I went off, we were looking kind of over the harbor of Port Washington, and I just had this sense of God saying, there are a lot of people here who need Jesus. There are just a lot of people here who need Jesus. They're looking for hope, right? They're looking for peace. And they're looking in all sorts of ways, but where they're going to find it is in him. And we, as children of promise, are to be the announcement, the sign of the promise that they're looking for. But I don't feel like our next step in that direction as a church is to jump into doing more outreach projects right away. That'd be maybe what you'd think, right? Be the next step. I think what Jesus is saying is instead to get to know each other better, to talk with each other, 
about things that really matter. To help each other see Jesus and his kingdom more clearly right here in the midst of our own lives. And I believe Jesus wants us to help us see even more clearly that we really can always trust Jesus and, and see what it means for Sarah to be our spiritual mother and see what it means to, that, that we truly are children of promise. And I believe that as we do that and as we talk and as we share our stories and talk about all that together, we talk about what we love about Jesus, what we love about the church, what we're longing for, that that's going to help us more naturally be the announcement of Jesus' promise to those around us. He wants to do that work in us first right now. So what we're planning for this fall is to do some of that by going through the Alpha course together. Now, Alpha is a course, if you're not familiar with it, that explores questions of life and faith through some really great videos and the kind of discussion that builds friendship and community as we're talking about it. It helps us to talk about what really matters. So we're going to do that this fall uh, on Wednesday nights uh, from 5 to 7, um, starting the last week of September. We're going to do this instead of having our usual assortment of small groups. Goal is to bring everybody together and do this. And so you might be sitting there thinking, I've already been through Alpha. Me too, about 15 times. <laughs> <laughs> And I learn something new every time, but I, I really feel like the point this time is not so much about learning stuff. It's that Alpha provides a structure to get us talking and thinking and seeing Jesus more clearly. And I've sensed the Holy Spirit saying that doing Alpha together will move us in the direction that Jesus wants us to go. So I would really hope you would plan on joining us for that this fall. We're going to provide dinner every Wednesday night. We're going to have nursery for the little ones. There's going to be kids and youth alpha going on at the same time. So something for everyone. You know, we've made it early so that parents with kids could come and still get home and put the kids to bed. And if you have trouble making it by five from work, you can jump in whatever time you get here. But we're just trying to make it easy so that everybody can come and you'll be hearing a lot more about it down the road. But that's where I see us going as we try and push into this. Jesus wants us to be people who see clearly, who see Jesus at work in all things so that we know that we really can trust him no matter what. And to see Sarah as our spiritual mother, which means that we're free, we're not slaves, and to see ourselves as children of promise, people of the kingdom who are announcing the kingdom with our very lives as we love God, love others, period. Amen? Amen. All right. So we're going to move into sharing communion. Um, because we can only see Jesus and see as Jesus wants us to see by grace, right? It's the only way we can do it. One way we receive more of God's grace is by celebrating the Lord's Supper each week. As we come and partake, he fills us with his presence and his grace. So if you're online, I encourage you to gather what you need uh, so you can participate with us. We could get four volunteers here to come up and serve uh, the rest of us. Uh, we practice open communion, which means all of you are welcome to participate. We come up.